Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. Our text tonight is Luke 9, familiar passage, verses 10 through 17, the feeding of the 5,000. And as I was preparing this message, I was uh, thinking about just a few months ago how we had a food supply chain problem here across the nation. Uh, And though there was plenty of food, there were distribution problems. Uh, You couldn't get the food properly from warehouses to grocery stores, and you would walk down grocery aisles, and it it looks like everyone's preparing for a hurricane coming, at least going up in Houston, Texas. We had memories of aisles just picked over and and bare, and uh, thankfully many of those issues have been resolved since then. That reminds us that uh, we are a blessed people. We, We are blessed materially with abundant provisions. We are also blessed spiritually with a multitude of of resources, of Bibles and commentaries and teaching and trained pastors and leaders. And we've been blessed during this season with expertise. I was so grateful March 15th, the the first Sunday we had significant change to be able to offer live stream over the internet. And we've just been blessed with uh, gifted and talented people. I turn to our text tonight as we look at a miracle of our Lord Jesus, a miracle of food, multiplication, and distribution uh, that points to uh, the food that we all hunger for, a food that lasts, that satisfies, that's provided only by the Lord Jesus, the true bread of life. Let me read for us Luke 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him, that is Jesus, all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them, And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is God's word. Let's pray again. Father, I would ask this evening that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here recently, my <coughs> wife and I were having breakfast with our oldest son, uh, who, like most college students, had to 
leave campus back in March due to the pandemic and finish his semester at home. And we just wanted to check in with our son and ask, you know, what's been hard? What's been the hardest thing you've had to endure uh, during this strange season? And kind of expecting to say, you know, missing his friends or having to do classes online. And, but, but no, without, without hesitation, he said, having to contend with his younger brothers for uh, the, the, the food supply in the kitchen week after week after week. No matter how much my wife purchases, it, it just, it's like a plague of locusts every week. It just diminishes. And you know, him being used to you know, having control over his own food supply back at campus has to contend with his brothers, some of whom we nicknamed the walking stomach, some who we affectionately refer to as hungry because he says, I'm hungry. And we say, oh, how are, hi, hungry, how are you? My wife and I are looking forward to the startup of school so that our kids are away and that hopefully our grocery bills will go back down again. Well, in our text, Jesus feeds a hungry crowd of thousands. They are hungry for teaching from the word of God. So much so that it becomes a mini humanitarian crisis with too many people, too little food, with a shortage of supplies and uh, often a remote place where the village is a bit far to travel. And, and our passage here is sandwiched between King Herod's perplexed inquiry into the identity of Jesus and before Peter's great confession that Jesus is the Christ, an indicator, the location of this miracle, that Luke is using it to highlight the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so as we approach this text tonight, we want to acknowledge, recognize that, that people are hungry. That the followers of Jesus must trust their master to feed the hungry. And lastly, that, that Jesus alone can satisfy the hungry. Well, well, the context of our passage is Jesus taking his disciples on a getaway, a little retreat in a remote area. He had just sent them through the surrounding villages to preach and to heal. And it was time to debrief, to uh, discuss the lessons they learned in their preaching and healing ministry. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to fish and how to depend upon the chief fisher of men. But their retreat will not last long. There's no rest for the weary as the crowds learn of their location. The, the seeds they had sown in their teaching has borne fruit, and people hunger to hear from the master. Notice that Jesus does not deny the crowds. He has not put them off. He does not make them wait, but rather he gladly welcomes them, like a generous mother who is happy to feed more hungry mouths at her table. In Mark's account of this occasion, he records that when Jesus saw the crowds, they were, he had compassion upon them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. The sheep of Israel were hungry. They had been neglected and underfed. They were bullied by selfish leaders who cared more about power, honor, and control and legalistic interpretations of the law. They were concerned more with keeping people out of synagogues than welcoming Strangers in. Thank you. But when the people heard Jesus, 
Their spiritual hunger was aroused. They wanted to hear more about the kingdom of God, a kingdom of love, of grace, of relationship, of a God who seeks out the lost and rejoices when the lost are found. These people wanted hope to navigate the pains and trials of this life and the hope of everlasting life. Here in Mannheim Township, a rather well-to-do community and school district, uh, a good one-third or more of children, school children, are on subsidized or or free lunch at the public schools. It's what uh, policymakers call food insecurity, that families vary due to social, uh, their socioeconomic situation uh, lack security, lack assurance of where their meal is coming from. I believe we live in a time where there is truth insecurity, love insecurity, that, that, that people are not quite sure where to get truth or where to get love and, and affirmation. And I believe that Jesus is The passage here shows us how to communicate and feed people with truth and the love of Christ. People are hungry for the truth. Feeling misled by media or medical professionals or government officials, that there is great distrust of authority. If there is one emotion that is predominant in our time, it's fear. Fear and anxiety, afraid for one's health, afraid for for safety and security. Just yesterday, my wife was at a store, and she was the lone customer, and I was talking with the clerk who was in her 70s, who confessed to my wife that, you know, for weeks she's been holed up, just so afraid of contracting the disease. And and we can empathize with that. You know, there, there are some fears that are fully warranted. And, of course, there are some fears that, can be highly exaggerated. The God of the Bible, the God of history, speaks into our fears. That the most frequent command in the Bible is do not fear. Do not be afraid. And we as God's people need to take that command to heart and find ways that we communicate compassionate truth and biblical and bold love to people around us. Jesus has overcome our fears. Our fear of sin, our fear of death, by the victory of the cross. You know, health and safety are important, but they are not ultimate. God is ultimate. Eternal life is ultimate. I quote David from Psalm 32, you have delivered me from all of my fears. And I quote John from 1 John, there is no fear in love. For perfect love cast out all fear. Well, as the day wore on, the disciples counseled the master to, to send the crowds away that they might find lodging and make good provisions for themselves out of this remote place. But rather than heed their counsel, Jesus turns the table and he says, you give them something to eat. Well, the, the disciples look at their meager rations and assess that they only have a mere five loaves of bread and two fish, and how are they to feed all these people unless they go shopping? During our first year of marriage, my wife and I were involved in a ministry in Houston called Inner City Youth. 
I was serving underprivileged children in the fourth ward of Houston, uh, many of whom were lived in broken homes and, uh, and uh, were straggling on the, the poverty line. It was led by Prince and Sheila Kusnard, uh, a godly African-American couple who moved into the community with their teenage children uh, to provide role models, uh, to bring resources, to, to mentor kids. And it was through that ministry that I, I coached a softball team. We took presents to families at Christmas uh, and uh, sometimes hung out at the Kusnard's house. And I can remember one Friday night, I was bringing dinner over, and we stopped and got a couple buckets of fried chicken, and we pulled in to the driveway, and there were dozens of youth all hanging out. And Prince Kuznar comes out, he looks at me, he eyes the few buckets of chicken I had, and right away I knew I had to go back and get more, to get a lot more to feed this hungry horde. You know, the disciples, they had the right impulse. They knew the crowds were hungry, and they were willing to go out and to purchase more and bring supplies in. You know, Mark's account estimates that it would take 200 days' wages uh, to feed 5,000 men, plus the women and children present. But Jesus had other plans. He instructs the disciples to have the crowd sit, sit into groups of 50, uh, the social distancing of their time. They're outside, and Jesus takes the bread and the fish. He breaks it. He blesses it and gives it to the disciples to distribute among the mass of people. And I can think, just at that moment, just imagine the perplexity of the disciples, being overwhelmed, I mean, because it's kind of you're on the verge of a humanitarian crisis. You know, hungry people can become an angry mob in a moment. But they trust the master. They sit the people down. And they begin to pass out these very meager rations. Maybe just hoping for the best, not knowing how in the world they're going to get more provisions. And and I I just pause here just to to think about our, our current situation how many of us feel overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by pandemic, overwhelmed by social and uh, racial tensions, the things we see on the TV, the things we hear on the news and so forth. And I'm reminded from this passage that this is a time to trust the master and to acknowledge that, that there are problems that, that, that we can't solve and, and we, we just have meager rations to, to spread out we feel so inadequate. The problems just seem so insolvable. Uh, I'm very aware that there are many people who are really in despair uh, of economic situations, uh, of questions about justice. Um, and and, and this, this is not a time or a place to go deep into these issues. Um, you know, the, the pastors have been talking about the, the need to address some of these concerns. And I believe Pastor Walker is going to plan uh, a series later this year to talk about race and uh, social issues and things. Because we want to we speak to these issues well from Scripture, uh, offer science class, and help us to think through biblically how to respond to some of the, the things we're hearing and seeing and uh, some of the pressures we, we may be facing. Um, but, I, but I would offer maybe just a few thoughts, uh, uh, just briefly on uh, justice and mercy. 
uh, that we live in a time where, where people are, are hungry for justice. They're hungry for justice. They feel betrayed by corrupt law enforcement, by preferential treatment. Uh, there's others who feel very vulnerable uh, to, to angry, demanding mobs. Uh, I would venture to guess that most of us here have never really felt uh, all that afraid uh, by the police or by the majority culture, by the color of our skin. Um, and, and, into, and, and into that situation, we, we need to affirm that the Bible shows us our God who has zeal to defend the weak and the vulnerable, uh, whether that's the threat of racial injustice or trafficking, uh, the, the vulnerable, the, the unborn, uh, the victims of those who steal and loot and exploit uh, the weak and the vulnerable. And I would just pause here just as we think about just being overwhelmed and how to approach people, how to talk about these things. Uh, I would just offer just a few brief recommendations. Uh, get to know people who are different, who think different, who look different. Get to know people's stories. Listen uh, without judgment. Listen, people have stories of racial injustice, of oppression, of abuse. And, and I know it's faddish today to be a victim. I get that. Um, but give people the benefit of the doubt and love them with a listening ear. But, but of course, also be discerning. We need to be discerning in, our, in a time where there's a lot of pressure for social change. We need to be very discerning uh, because oftentimes things that are demanded uh, may not really be the best in the long haul. We, and the, the, the Bible's precedence of concern for the weak and vulnerable and I think as God's people, in our discussions, in our dialogue, as uh, people in authority have to make hard choices, we, we need to consider how do we help protect and defend the weak and the vulnerable and recognize that oftentimes poor communities need more law enforcement, not less. We also need to be recognized that uh, or the, the biblical precedence for not tolerating bullies. It's not cower and fear. We have in Jesus one who confronted bullies. We have a master who defended the weak and the vulnerable. And there are things that we can easily affirm scripturally that we all, that, 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 there, that we are committed to equality under the rule of law. Thankfully, we live in a constitutional republic that, that's rooted in Judeo-Christian ethics. Your know, freedom is at the heart of our nation's founding and reflects the heart of God's redeeming grace has set people free from the tyranny of sin. So these are things that, that, are, that are foundational, that are, that are fundamental, uh, that, we, that we recognize, that we want to yearn and uphold justice and righteousness. And with that, we also recognize that people hunger for mercy. Uh, people are, are longing for, for, for compassion and mercy and understanding. Uh, we know that the justice in this life is imperfect. And we know that each of us fall far short of God's standards of righteousness, and we need his mercy. And so during this time, it's, it's good for us to be reminded of the fact that we have a merciful Heavenly Father as we celebrate Father's Day today. We are reminded of the importance of, of our earthly fathers and reminded of the value that the mercy we have in a loving Heavenly Father. And we can empathize with those who lack father figures. And think about 
Prince and Sheila who went into community to provide a loving father and mother figure to many people in need. And how can we be role models? How can we uh, minister to those who are vulnerable, who need relational, social capital? And we have opportunities right here. And our refugee ministry, our ESL ministry, our Bible school ministry, other ways that we can help uh, spread the mercy and compassion and kindness of God to those in need all around us. And of course, we always fall short. Uh, our justice and our mercy is less, far less than God's. But as I read from Psalm 85 early, earlier, that, that, that justice and mercy, uh, that, that righteousness and peace are fulfilled by God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross, where justice and mercy meet, where righteousness and peace kiss. Because it's at the cross that our Savior satisfies the righteous judgment of God. It's there that, that the Lord receives a punishment that you and I deserve for our sin and our rebellion against our Maker. And where we are reconciled to God, our Redeemer, where we receive mercy, where we receive pardon for our sins and the free offer of eternal life. That is our hope that God himself will satisfy all justice and righteousness in the end. Well, thirdly, we want to consider how Jesus is the only one who satisfies our hunger, our ultimate hunger for, for grace and for hope. You know, our, our passage lacks the, the detail of really explaining uh, how, how this food was multiplied. It just uh, it doesn't give it explicitly. It just presents the results that the people ate and were satisfied and each of the 12 disciples were left with a basket full of leftover pieces. I can still remember vividly my childhood preacher in the church I grew up in who offered an interpretation of this passage or, or maybe it was another one of the synoptic gospels, the parallel passage, where he concluded that, that the people shared what they had brought. That, that, that the way the food multiplied was because people had reserves in their picnic baskets, in their provisions they had brought along for uh, the journey. And, and, and so in this interpretation, the, the miracle is uh, people being generous, that they're so moved and inspired by Jesus' teaching that they uh, are, are generous and, and sharing. And of course, generosity is good, Right? And the gospel does move us towards generosity and sharing, and that's all right and good. But that's not what this text is saying. This text is not talking about some humanistic movement of, of people in response to a good teacher. Uh, this, this passage is pointing to Christ, to Jesus, who is more than a teacher, the, the one who Peter will confess in the following passage that he is the Christ, the promised one, the one who had come and fulfill and satisfy all righteousness. And, and Luke clearly is using this miracle to lay the foundation for the disciples' belief that Jesus had come from God, that he was more than a teacher, more than a healer, more than a social reformer. He's a prophet and more than a prophet. He is the new Moses, the one feeding his people. 
giving bread to them in the wilderness. The one who would have the audacity in the parallel passage from John 6 to claim to be the bread of life. Using the familiar I am reference, linking his identity to Yahweh. <coughs> and would go on to make even, even, even more audacious claim in John 6. That unless people eat his flesh and drink his blood, they will have no part in him. We have no sustenance apart from Christ. We have no meaning. We have no fulfillment and satisfaction apart from our Savior. The one who said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me is the one who alone satisfies our hunger. I've been reading a, a powerful story by Nick Ripian, not his real name, a fictitious name to protect those vulnerable on the mission field. But in The Insanity of God, Nick talks about his story of, of moving his family to Kenya back in the early 90s to set up a relief effort in Somalia. If you remember uh, the, 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 the trauma, the, the, the terrible situation Somalia was in in the early 90s of just complete havoc, complete social breakdown, complete lack of rule of law, uh, and all, all kinds of uh, refugees fled all over the world. Many of them are here in the United States. And while he was there, he ministered to, to whole villages that had been decimated uh, with parents burying children and children burying parents in large open graves. And, and Nick and a small company of, of, of fellow Christians had a, had a passion to reach this Muslim-majority country, a people starving physically and spiritually with the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and their work and the work of other relief workers gained the attention of the United Nations for a time. It came in and for a while provided security until it got too dangerous, too violent, and the UN left, and eventually their relief efforts had to end because the violence was so severe against Westerners and Christian influence. And Nick writes about his guilt, his burden of having to leave. He went there to feed sheep. He went there to gather. One of the hardest places in the world, and he felt guilty for not making more converts, for not making more disciples, for in a place where evangelism was extremely difficult, extremely risky in such oppressive conditions. And yet, in hindsight, the, the gospel work did go forth by their witness, by their example, by their compassion, their integrity, by, by respecting the dignity of each person they fed and clothed, uh, by the protection they provided to many. And it spoke volumes to Muslims. It testified to the power of the gospel that, that bore fruit in a people movement there and also spread through a ministry uh, to, among the heavily persecuted throughout the world. Nick Ripkin goes on to talk about how he interviewed believers who suffered severe persecution in the former Soviet Union throughout the 20th century. And they're, they're just... Just awful stories of people deprived, employment, sustenance, uh, a terrible story of 200 pastors from one region being taken into custody, imprisoned, and literally starved to death. And in one of his interviews of uh, a child or a grandchild of those who are persecuted, uh, one interviewee 
uh, remembers his father telling their family, children all over the district, the, uh, all over the district, uh, the communist authorities are slowly starving to death. Believers who refuse to deny their faith. And if our family has to starve for Jesus, then let us do it with joy. What a powerful testimony. A, a powerful witness of faith of believers who are willing to starve their bodies rather than starve their souls and deny their Savior. And it is this power of the gospel that, that feeds our souls, that feeds us in a way that transcends all bodily and material needs. It's this gospel that gives us true grace and hope to endure horrendous persecution, to endure pandemics, to endure whatever it is that we may find ourselves in with temptation and threat in this fallen world. People are hungry. People are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide, right here in Lancaster, all across this very polarized nation of ours, in communist China, in Muslim Middle East, and everywhere where people want truth and love, justice and mercy, grace and hope. And as we respond to the gospel for ourselves, we recognize that, that, that only Jesus satisfies that longing, that, that only Jesus offers what people truly need. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for him who can satisfy your soul? And will you be satisfied with nothing less than knowing him and following him? Will you take risks for him, to gather, to feed his sheep, to be a blessing to neighbors and family, friends and co-workers? Will you support the work of others who are helping to feed and gather God's sheep throughout the country, throughout the unreached parts of the world? And to remember G uh, Peter's great confession that Jesus is the Christ, Ross reminded that, that Jesus' final words to Peter or feed my sheep. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the great shepherd of the sheep. You are the great fisher of men. You are the one who came to seek and to save the lost. And we are so grateful to be found. We are so grateful to be gathered into your sheepfold. We are so grateful to be led by a compassionate high priest and faithful Savior. Lord Jesus, may we feed well. May we be satisfied with you and you alone. And may we be witnesses of, of the hope and the glory of the gospel revealed in Jesus Christ to those around us. Thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. We commit these things to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.